the vision statement for this student ministry for the entire year of 2019 is that we will equip each other to desire and do God's will and God's will for us in this life. What is it? Well, we see it in Matthew 28. Jesus said, go and make disciples. Of who? Of everyone, of all the nations. Nobody gets left out. And how do we make these disciples? Well, you baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and then you teach these new disciples to obey all the commands, every word of this book that I've given you. And so right there, that's where we get our definition for what a disciple is. A disciple is a baptized believer of Jesus Christ who obeys God's word, who reads these words and then puts them into action. In our recipe for discipleship, our actions that we are called, that we feel God has put before us to do, to desire them and then to do them, comes from Isaiah chapter 5, verse 1 through 2. My beloved, who is God, had a vineyard, and that's us, on a rich and fertile hill, and that's the life God offers us that we are to receive. Verb number one. My beloved had a vineyard on a rich and fertile hill. He plowed or protected the land. He cleared or removed its stones. And then he planted it with the best vines. And in the middle, he built a watchtower. And then he carved a wine press in the nearby rocks. And then verb number seven, which we'll talk about today. Then he waited for a harvest of sweet grapes. If you are a disciple, you are to devote your life to the verb, to the action, to the discipline of receiving from God. He's the giver of every good thing. If he's the giver and we're his kids, we are to receive from the Lord. It is not one and done. It is all your life, all the days of your life. Even this morning, God says, my mercies are new every day, and so we are supposed to receive his mercy afresh this morning. Did you walk in here this morning feeling depressed or worn out? I did. We are to receive his mercies afresh this morning, just like the sun came up brand new today. That's verb number one. Verb number two, disciples protect what they receive. If you receive something of great value, you protect it. If you have a nice car, you pop an alarm on it. If you have loved ones in a house, you lock the door. You protect what you've been given. Disciples then remove stumbling blocks. They remove anything in them that might hurt them or hurt their relationship with Jesus. To protect means we protect from outside influences that might hurt us. To remove means we remove inside influences that might already be in there hurting us, like a false belief, like a bad behavior, like a lie that we believe. My father called me something awful when I was 10 or 11 or 12 years old. And I had a moment in time when I was in like my 20s where I had to remove that word, where I had to remove that kind of curse that my father spoke over me. You might have something like that, just a a false belief, a a wound that you just need to confess. Jesus, this hurt me. Please remove it. That's what that means. Disciples plant Jesus. They plant God's word in their hearts. If you remove something, well, boom, there's a spot. There's a hole to fill. We fill that hole with truth. We fill that that hole with God's love. We fill it with the life that this book speaks of. If you confess a sin, man, I hope by the end of the day you're reading this book and refilling that emptiness with truth, with goodness. And then disciples, they build their faith. As we confess and as we're set free, we experience 
the power of God. We experience a rebuilding. We experience something that leads to having a story. We build our faith. We build our story. We build our testimony as we pray and see God answer prayers. And then as we talked about last week, disciples use their gifts. Some of you are, are just like really fast. That's a gift. Some of you guys are really good at playing instruments or singing. That's a gift. Some of you guys are amazingly gifted with tech. That's a gift. Some of you literally have like the spiritual gift of prayer and intercession. That's a gift and you are to use. We are to use these gifts all day, every day to bless others, to bring glory to his name. And then the final verb that we'll talk about right now is that we are called to wait. All of these actions will produce something, but the something might not be for a little while. Some of these actions, boom, immediate fruit. Some of them takes a while. The vineyard, when you first receive a vineyard and you take over and you start working, it says it takes two years before you see any fruit. Do we have enough faith in God to obey him and follow him for two years without seeing any fruit? Well, it says right here that we should. We need to. Of all the verbs of discipleship, waiting may be the most difficult. Why? Because we live in the digital age where if I want something, all I've got to do is open my phone and point and click, and within 24 hours, Amazon's dropping it off at my house. That is not a good recipe for developing the discipline of waiting, because if I want something, it's there. But that's not how nature works. That's not how God works. Um, we are losing the art of waiting well. Hebrews 11, 1 and then 6 says, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things that we cannot yet see. Without faith, no one can please God. Because no one coming to God, I'm sorry, because the one coming to God must believe he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. If you paid attention to that verse, you might have noticed that God blesses us when we hope for his will, which implies it's not here, it's coming. God blesses us when we seek his will, which implies that we need to go somewhere and it's going to take a little time potentially to get there. God blesses us when we wait for his will, not ours, to be done. Because God is a God of seasons. That's how he made the world. That's how he made us. He made us to operate in seasons. Not everything all day, but some things here and some things there and some things down the road. God is a God of seasons because growing stuff like our faith, like our testimony, like our gifts. It takes time. And we can't rush plants. I can't plant a tomato plant and demand that it gives me a tomato that day. It's going to take some time. And you can't rush people. Can't rush plants. You can't rush people. Here's an example of how God is a God of seasons, how things take time. Here's a picture of the trees right behind this building as seen from the student building patio. This picture was taken this fall, around November, just six, seven months ago, look at the trees. They're dead. It's winter. There's no leaves. There's no fruit. There's no flowers. There's no nothing. It's just barren. And then just a few months later, as vis-a-vis -vis last week, here's the same view, and boom, life, pollen, leaves, new things. It did not happen overnight. It took some time. Why? Why do we have to wait? Why can't we have whatever we want, whenever we want it? I'll answer with a story. A story that is intended to remind us God is God and we aren't. God knows best 
and we don't. Um, I have had lots of jobs in this lifetime. I am 43, and in that time, a few examples of jobs that I have had, of things that I have pursued, thinking, okay, I'll do this, maybe for life. Um, lifeguard, landscaper, waiter for many years. Um, I was a computer salesman. That was a joke. I mean, like I did it, but I was horrible at it. Uh, I was a model for like this much time. Um, I w why is it, who laughed? Who laughed? I was a real estate agent. I, not my sweet spot. But it was not until I was about 32 years old, 32, that I finally stopped trying to do all these things and I asked God, God, like, what do you want me to do with my life? What did you design me to do? 32 years I waited to ask God, what do you want me to do with my life? How did you design me to um, produce, to be a person? What's the work that you called me to? I hope you guys don't wait until you're 32 to ask that question. I asked that question and I opened my Bible to Isaiah 49. A few weeks later, I opened to Isaiah 22. Both of those, for me, just affirmed, just solidified, just gripped me and said, I made you to be a pastor of students at Wood's Edge. It was so clear. I wish I had asked years before, but I hadn't. But when I asked the Lord, what do you want me to do? I looked to the truth in this book. I planted what he said in my soul, in my heart, in my mind, and God said, I want you to be the pastor of the students at Wood's Edge Community Church. And within weeks, I was offered a job on the staff of the student team, and I had so many ideas as a junior level player in the student ministry of what this ministry could be, of the things that we could offer. Things like art ministry, didn't exist back then, but it's an idea I had. Things like life hacks that Hobby's hosting later today. We didn't have that, but I just knew that's something God wanted to do. Things like having a student worship team that is, that is led by students, for students, primarily with students, developing their gifts so that when they go to their next church home after high school, they can like lead worship and they're ready to go. And Bailey's just doing such a good job leading that. But at the time, as I said, I was only co-leading the student ministry. I wasn't the leader. Um, I was not able to do what God called me to. I was not able to do all that he had promised I would do. And then in 2009, the Great Recession hits America, hits the Woodlands, hits Wood's Edge. And I was forced to leave the student team. I was basically fired because I was the most junior member on the team. So they had me leave the team that God said, I want you to be on, that God said you're going to lead one day. And I'm just like, how can I lead the student ministry if you've removed me from the student ministry? Has God ever called you to do something? But in following him, it's like, I'm going the wrong way. I mean, I know it's what you said, but I'm like going in the opposite direction. This doesn't make sense to me. Well, that's where I was. I was forced to leave the student ministry, and man, I was struggling. I was, did I do something wrong? Did I blow it? Did I mess up? Um, it rocked me. And all I had to do, all I knew to do, was to go back to the Lord and say, what am I supposed to do now? You said leave the student ministry. They're saying I have to leave. What am I supposed to do now? And God leads me to a beautiful passage. Habakkuk, chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. I will climb up to my watchtower, and I will stand at my guard post, and there I will wait and see what the Lord says, and how he will answer my complaint, my desire, my frustration. 
And then the Lord responded to me. The Lord answered my prayer. I talked to him and he talked back. Write my answer plainly on tablets so that a runner can carry the correct message to others. This vision, this answer to prayer I'm giving you, it's for a future time. And it describes what's to come. And it will be fulfilled. And if it seems slow in coming, wait patiently. For it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. And then he said, Justin, look at the proud. Look at the people who trust in themselves. Their lives are crooked, but the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. My question to God was, they've just removed me from the team you told me to lead. I don't understand. What am I supposed to do? This is my complaint. And he said, be quiet, sit down, relax, watch, and wait. Be patient. Um, Give me your complaint. Wait for me to respond. Wait for me to give you what I said I was going to give you. And where did he tell me to wait? In the watchtower, which we've been talking about through this series, which we talked about just a couple weeks ago. God said, wait in your watchtower. And we know that the watchtower represents when God has answered prayers. We know that the watchtower represents when God has moved on our behalf and we know it's true, which builds our faith. When God has answered prayer and we know it's true and that builds our faith. When God has spoken and we know this is from the Lord and he said, wait there. He said, wait and trust the fact that I said you would lead and I will make it so. And so I went to my watchtower and I waited for a year. And I'll tell you guys, almost every day, if not every single week, it was a struggle. This is a struggle. I'm, I'm still on staff at Wood's Edge. I got a job in the communications department. But I'm just looking over here at the student ministry going, that's where I want to be. It was such a struggle to see what I wanted. It was so close, but I couldn't have it. And then I had to wait another year. But I had gotten a little better at waiting. I was a little more patient. I was a little more calm. I was a little more, God's got it. I'm, you know, I'm going to focus on what he's given me to do for now. He said to lead the communications team for a while, so I'm going to focus on that. Even though that's where I want to go, I'm going to focus on this. And then the third year, well, the third year I had learned how to wait. I had learned how to wait well. I, I didn't have every day be perfect, but most days I was like, it's fine. This is where I'm at. God will make it happen when he wants to make it happen. And so three years I waited for my dream job, what God said would happen, And in June of the third year, I had a dream at night. I'm sleeping, and I have this dream that my two bosses, because I had two at the time, come into my office at church, and they said, hey, the student pastor who's been leading the student ministry since you left is resigning. Would you like the job? And I start crying in my dream, and I'm like, yes, I do. I waited so long. And then I wake up, and I tell Brooke this dream. I'm like, this is crazy. I had this dream. And by now, three years, we're like, that's great. But, you know, we'll pray about it. But we're just going to go on with our day. And I go to work that morning. And around 9 a.m., my two bosses come into my office. And they say, Kent resigned last night. Do you still want to lead the student ministry? And I just started crying. And they're like, is that a yes? Or, like, what's happening here? And God, true to his word, gave me what he said he would always give me, but I had to learn how to wait and to hope 
and to trust that he would do what he said he was going to do. Um, you guys, I want you to grab your prayer tags and your pen, and I want us to ask a question of the Lord before we go any further, and here it is. Would you either think or, or just write out, God, what do you want me to do? Whether that question is for like this summer on going to a trip. Maybe that question is, um, where should I go to school next year? Maybe that question is, what do you want me to do with my life? I mean, I'm studying, I'm, I'm trying to pass the star test, I'm preparing for ACT, CTES, all the letters. But have you, asked, have you ever asked the Lord, what do you want me to do in my life, with my life? And as you ask that question, if something bubbles up in you that is just so exciting, um, that is bigger and grander than you can imagine, I guarantee that's, that's God speaking, calling you to that thing that you probably think you don't deserve. But will you just have that question in the forefront of your thoughts? And as God speaks, just write the answer down. And it might come now, and it might come in a few minutes in the sermon. But ask the Lord, what do you want me to do? And as he speaks, just own it. I'll say the answer might be closer than you think. The answer might have already been spoken to you. Is there something that you just love, 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 love to do? It might have something to do with that. After three years of waiting, I was tempted many times during those three years to go straight to Pastor Jeff and demand that the student pastor position be given to me. Like just envision myself going in and saying, mine. That would not have gone well for me. Um, after three years, I was tempted so many times to just go get another job. You know what? If I can't have this and I just got to watch from afar, I'm just, it's too hard to look at. I'm going to go just get another job. After three years, there were times when I just wanted to give up on what God had said, where I just didn't even want to believe it anymore. Um, but as I continued to wait and continued to give my complaint to the Lord, I realized that God was teaching me patience, which if you do not have, is so vital to living well in this life. God was building my faith, testing to see, do you believe me enough to obey me, to be still, and to wait? And I learned some really valuable lessons during that season of waiting that I want to share with you. There's four of them, although there's more, but here's the four we're going to talk about. Lesson number one, to remember while you're waiting. Remember that God knows best. Just know that. He knows best. He's God and we're not. And that's reinforced by Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13. I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future, to give you a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. And if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. On your prayer tag, will you just write faithfully, this sentence, Jesus, as I wait, Jesus, as I wait, help me trust that you know best. As I wait for you to move, for you to open the door, for you to do what only you can do, Jesus, help me trust that you know best. And as you write that, know that you're just not writing a sentence like in relation to whatever it is that you are waiting for in this life, longing for, desiring. Just ask the Lord, 
help me wait, trusting that you know best, that your time is best. Point number two to remember during waiting is remember that there's always more going on than meets the eye. There's more going on in the world around you and in the spiritual realm around you than you or I can see. And we see that in Daniel chapter 10. The angel said to me, Daniel, you are very precious to God. And please know, you could insert your name right there and it would be completely true. Justin, you are completely, you are totally precious to me. Olivia, you are precious to me. Kalen, you are precious to me. Even Kalen. So, listen carefully to what I have to say to you. Stand up, for I have been sent to you. When the angel said this to me, I stood up, trembling. And then he said, do not be afraid. Since the first day that you began to pray for understanding, just stop right there and just acknowledge, you just prayed for some understanding. And the Bible says, since the first day that you began to pray for understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your request has been heard in heaven. What you prayed two minutes ago, he's already heard it. And I have come in answer to your prayer. But for 21 days, the demon prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. And then Michael, one of the archangels, came to help me. And I left him there with the demon prince of the kingdom of Persia. And now I am here to answer your prayer. The Bible just said that the minute we pray, God hears, and he dispatched the answer to our prayer that moment, but there was stuff going on in the spiritual realm. There was this demonic force that did not want that answer to get through, and so Daniel just had to wait. He just had to be patient. So do you. So do I. On your prayer card, will you just write, Jesus, as I wait, help me look beyond what I can see. Help me look past what I can see. Jesus, as I wait, help me look beyond my circumstances. It's so important that we remember that when we pray, we are doing something spiritual, and spiritual things then need to happen, and we don't always get to see them, and so we just need to be patient and wait and trust. God knows best, and there's more going on in the spiritual realm than meets the eye. Lesson number three, remember to bless others while waiting for God's blessing. I love that. Remember to bless others while waiting for God's blessing. I take that from 1 Peter chapter 3 and so many scriptures like it. I love this verse. I just made a prayer card on it. 1 Peter 3, 8 through 13, be agreeable, be sympathetic, be loving, be compassionate, be humble. This goes for all of you. No exceptions. Do not pay back evil for evil or insult with insult. Instead, be a blessing. That's your job, to bless. If you are a blessing, you will be blessed. If you love life and want to say, see your days fill up with good, then be careful with what you say. Don't tell lies. Don't spread gossip. Don't talk about inappropriate or improper things. For me, I would just add in there, like, don't complain. 
Walk away from the evil things in the world. Just leave them behind. Do what is right. Always seek peace. God looks on all of this with approval, listening and responding well to whatever we ask. But he turns his back on those who do evil, on those who get tired of waiting and go their own way, on those who give up and head for the door like I was tempted to do. If with your heart and soul you are doing good, do you think that you can be stopped? Even if you suffer for doing good, you're still better off. Students, would you write down, Jesus, as I wait? Would you use me to be a blessing to those around me? Or, Jesus, as I wait, would you help me bless others as I wait for your blessing? As you write that, I'll just say, do you know that the easiest way to get your, problem, or your mind off of your own problems is to help someone else with theirs? Do you know that the easiest way to get out of a place of being just stuck in complaint and a fog of just confusion and frustration is to stand up and go and serve someone else and love someone else? And God says, oh, I'm going to bless you because you're not letting your problems weigh you down. You're not letting them push you into your room and close the door and just cut yourself off from the world. To change the way that we think about our problems, we should serve others. We should bless others. Are you in a place today where you're overwhelmed by your stuff? Join a serving team. Go bless somebody. Go mow your neighbor's yard just because you will feel better because God says, I'll bless you for doing it. The last reminder about what to do during the waiting. Remember that we are not the only ones who are worth waiting for. 2 Peter chapter 3 says, you must not forget this one thing, dear friends, that a day is like a thousand years to the Lord. And a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not really being slow about His promise, as some people think. No, He is being patient for your sake. For He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but He wants everyone to repent. He wants everyone to change the way that they think. He wants everyone to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I can't save myself. He did. I want it. Last prayer. Jesus, as I wait, would you give me compassion for the lost? Jesus, as I wait, would you give me a heart for the people around me? God is God, you guys, and we are not. And God is waiting for us. He's waiting for me and you to believe him and obey him, to not only desire what he's offering, but to do what he says as we wait. He's waiting for us. Um, God waits to send Jesus back and wrap all this up. God's waiting to destroy the earth, as he said, and remake it anew, as he promises in Revelation. He's waiting for that, because if he came back today, like now, millions, if not billions, would go straight to hell because they don't know him. And you know what? Some of that is on you and me, because we know the truth, and we need to share it. Um, He's waiting because he wants us to be ready for it. He wants us to know that when he comes that we are so confident in our salvation. He wants 
that one or two of you that might be sitting in this room right now knowing, I have not taken the step of being baptized, even though I know the Bible says so. Today, while it's still called today, do it. He's waiting because we've got friends and family that you and I both know we have never shared the gospel with. God is a God who loves to bless, you guys. He is the giver of every good thing. Um, I want to close with a quick video, a quick story. It's one of my favorite examples of waiting for God, obeying God, putting your faith in action. It is so simple. It is so sweet. Any of us could do this. And it involves my bride, Brooke Ulmer. And here is her story. Check this out. My name is Brooke, and this is the story of Charlotte's Tooth. My daughter was turning three, and my son was turning one, and was being dedicated to the Lord at church. So my parents came into town from California, and we had a, a big family get-together. We were really excited one day going out to go shopping for birthday presents, and we're all just loaded with all our belongings, our juice cups, diaper bags, and heading down the stairs. When Charlotte fell, she just fell. She just went down face first onto the tile. Nobody could grab her. All our hands were full of bags and sippy cups. Her face hit that tile floor. She was so upset, she started crying immediately, but she was hiding her face. She wouldn't let us look at her face. Justin swooped her up in his arms and held her and sent me to go get some ice, but she still wouldn't let us look at her. After a little while, I had to actually grab her face uh, so that I could look at what was going on. Her nose wasn't broken, thank God, but um, there was definitely some blood coming from a lip or something in her mouth. We noticed that Charlotte's, one of her front teeth started to turn dark. Her smile is her one of her best features. She smiles all the time and it's just full of life and lights up the room. And this one tooth was starting to get dark and was really noticeable. And so we took her to the dentist to have it x-rayed. The x-ray did show that the tooth um, was dying, that the root had been damaged and um, that her big tooth was okay, but that, that little tooth for the next couple of years till it falls out was gonna be a dark tooth. We were at home a couple of days after that and I was looking at Charlotte and I would have her smile for me and try to get used to that dark tooth when I felt like God said, pray to me and I will heal Charlotte's tooth and it will be a sign to you that I will answer your prayers. And I was just amazed at hearing something like that. I almost didn't really believe it. I shared it with Justin that night when he got home from work and we shared it with our home group and I asked everyone to pray for me to have faith. I felt like initially just hearing that, that I would have enough faith to pray for something like that. But if I thought about it any longer, I sort of didn't, it didn't make sense to me. I didn't see how God could do that or, um, how he would end up fulfilling that, if it would be something that would take six months, if it's something that would happen right away. But uh, without knowing how he was going to do it, I still prayed because that's what he told me to do. And uh, after a couple of weeks of praying, God 
started to heal her tooth. It started to look lighter. And uh, after a couple days of it feeling like it was really lighter, I asked Justin if he noticed, and he said he had noticed it also, but was afraid to say anything. He wanted to wait and see. And after a couple days after that, the tooth matched the other tooth. It was completely restored. And we were so excited about it because God did what he said he was going to do. So not only did Charlotte have a restored smile and this, this beautiful set of teeth again, but God declared that he had done something for us, that he wanted us to pray. God has taught me that he's not just capable of healing, but that he cares to heal and that he cares to meet us where we're at with whatever faith we have and that he will grow our faith, that he will provide for us and that he loves us. You guys know that I'm a big fan of the mustard seed parable. You've probably heard me say it a dozen times this semester alone, but I'm going to use it again. You guys, your faith can be the size of a mustard seed, which if I was holding in my hand right now between these two fingers is so small you can't even see it from where you're sitting. But that's all the faith that you need to have in God. That's all the belief, that's all the hope you need to start with. And God will do the miraculous on your behalf if you follow Brooke's example, if you follow my example, if you follow the example after example after example in these pages, talk to God, ask him your questions, bring him your fears, and then do what he says. Ask him questions and hear responses and then walk in that direction. Even if it feels like you're going in the wrong direction, just put some feet on your faith and obey him. Love him. Be a blessing to the people around you, and miracles will start to happen in your life. I promise. I guarantee it. I believe it. Um, God has amazing plans for the person sitting in your chair. God has good plans for this whole student ministry, and he's maybe waiting for us to get serious about following him with our whole heart, with all our soul and strength. Let's let it begin today. Here's what we're gonna do to close up our sermon. We're gonna do things a little differently today. We have communion available. We have our offering boxes for you to bring your tithe, for you to drop off your prayers, and we'll pray for those this week. But today, we're gonna begin our response a little differently. We're gonna have a new song that Bailey's gonna play for us. But she's not just gonna play it for us, she's gonna sing it over us. And as she does so, I want you to tune into the lyrics and just receive them, just believe them, just declare them over yourselves. I want you to take your prayer card and I want you to wrap up your prayer by, when you see a phrase or a lyric from this song that just resonates with you, will you just write it out by faith? Will you just declare it in hope? Let that be the ending of your prayer to the Lord. Um, and when the time feels right, come forward, drop it off, and take the elements 
and we'll sing this song together. I'm gonna pray for us. But for those first few minutes, just kind of sit and wait and hear what God has to say and own it, claim it. Jesus, thank you that you are the God of seasons, that you are the God of good plans, that you are the God that is unstoppable. Speak to us. And we thank you that you've been speaking to us. You've been stirring our desires. You've been energizing us. May we now do what you're calling us to do. For some of us, we need to get serious about receiving, protecting. Some of us need to get serious about removing the hurts in our lives, the lies in our minds, planting your word, building our testimony, using our gifts. And some of us, all of us in some way, shape, or form just need to sit and be still and wait for you. You're worth it. Your way is worth it. Your miracles are worth it. Your smile is worth it. So help us be a people who wait well. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. In the pressing 